This is Strange New Trek, a podcast about the life and times of Captain Christopher Pike. And now, your hosts. In space, when troubles come, count on time travel and mushrooms to save the day. I am your host, Jeremy Vilmer. Uh, joining me now is my number one dog, Commander Dog, and our chief engineer, Chris Noonien, saying what's happening, Chris. Hey, hey, just getting over a case of uh, space COVID. Yeah, the Rona, the space <laughs> Rona. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I got it late, really. I've been... I've I've managed to avoid it all this time. I you know what? I, I was right there with you. I, I picked it up in <laughs> May and that was the first time I got it. And believe it or not, I'd been in New York for days, I'd been on airplanes, I'd been to Greece, I'd been in airports. I go to pick my dog up from the kennel and I pick it up there. Yeah, I'm not sure where I got it from. Yeah. It's a it's a tricky one. You probably got yep. sneezed on by a Ferengi or something. <laughs> Dang Ferengi. Dang old Ferengi. So I've got something. I've had a cough all weekend that I can't quite pin down, but no other symptoms of anything. All right, Chris, we're getting ready to do an episode tonight called Light and Shadows. And I know we're both super excited about this one. Oddly, you know, every time I think <laughs> that there's not much to say about something, it ends up being like one of our longest ones. I don't <laughs> think that that is going to be the case this time. I, I, don't, I don't see how it could, but, you know, we should probably prepare for it just in case. Um, yeah, you know, this whole episode and what it contains could have been uh, distilled down to about 10 minutes on another episode. Yeah, but see, you know what's <laughs> keeping me going is that next week is the episode I'm really looking forward to, but you'll you'll catch us up to what that is when we get to the end here. Oh, <laughs> uh, a couple quick notes on this one. Wilson Cruz is not in the credits and he's not in the show this week, so they I don't know if they were trying to pull a fast one on us and make us think he was like uh, Tig Notaro or what. Um, this is also the first time we see Ethan Peck as Spock and the red angel was added to the credits this week. Instead of being blurry, they actually show what the mechanized suit looked like. Yep. It looks a lot like, uh, something out of the MCU. Uh, look, you know, it reminded me of like this old manga anime series called bubblegum crisis. (laughs) Kind of look, it kind of had a manga anime ish feel to it, you know? Yeah. It it just continues to look like Ant-Man. Oh well, yeah, things. I could I could totally see that. <laughs> I could totally see that. Yeah. Makes me think of Ant Man. Yeah, well, no, it's I, I got you on that one. Um, <laughs> you want to hit us with the teaser as we get going here? Or the yeah, it's a personal log from Commander Burnham. My mother taught me the greatest mysteries come in threes: birth, life, death, past, present, and the future. That's where the Red Angel was from. We now have confirmation thanks to Mrs. Saru. The angel is humanoid and wearing an exosuit made of MCU technology. Sorry, future technology we've never seen. But whose future and why? The only person who may be able to answer these questions is the one person nobody can find. And uh, thus we kick off our search for Spock. <laughs> they made short work of it this time. Yes, though. yes, they did. Yes, they did. <laughs> um, aboard the Discovery, Burnham walks in the corridors with Captain Pike, reviewing what they know about Spock's connection to the Red Angel, and how he had seen the seven red bursts before they had appeared. 
The brain scans of Spock's uh, medical records indicate that he had suffered a mental breakdown to which Pike wonders whether the angel came to him and caused a breakdown or came to him because he had a breakdown. Oh, perhaps he had seen a future that he couldn't quite process, Pike wonders. They know that Spock escaped uh, from the psychiatric unit on Starbase 5 and that his shuttle had disappeared in the Mutara sector, but have no other leads besides that. And on a side note, the Mutara Nebula is where Spock dies in the Wrath of Khan. <laughs> uh, do you think that he sees reflections of him of his future self in a lot of things like uh, Mike okay. does? I, I would have to think <laughs> at this current time he does. Because he's seeing time out of order, right? Like, is it, it, Not that he's said it yet, but he says, how do I remember tomorrow? Things like that. <laughs> so I think he's probably having flashes and things, even though maybe he's not forming memories of it. Sarek, Spock's father, and Spock and Michael's father, is part of the Federation's task force on investigating the signals. But Burnham knows that Amanda has not always seen eye to eye with Sarek when it comes to Spock. So maybe she can go to Amanda with, uh, for some help. Back on the bridge, Pike and Saru review the readings from the burst in orbit, showing them to match the same spike of tachyons detected by Admiral Cornwell's team from Discovery's previous expedition to the interstellar asteroid. Just then, Tilly enters, excitably remarking that the readings can't be accurate, showing 5,000 parts per cubic micron, densities not seen outside of a supernova, which Tilly calls freaking amazing. <laughs> Pike Astrid find out what's behind it besides freaking amazing. I love science. We need a t-shirt yeah. that says that, you know? Yeah, I feel like there's probably one out there, and uh, it probably has the freaking word in it, too. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. <laughs> oh, it's so nice to get back to uh, the Discovery's crew, honestly, every time I watch it now. Yeah. So something I don't like about Discovery now is the way it's lit. It's super dark compared to Strange New Worlds. Oh, the shots in, in Discovery were all like murky as heck. You know? Yeah. They were all just like, I don't know, look like, look like they shot it like dark. You know, well, like they have like pinpoints of light, you know, but it's dark. And then it looks like they darkened it again, either through color toning or something. Yeah, I I um coming from um Strange New Worlds, I, I don't like the difference. Yeah. Uh back when I was first watching it though, it didn't didn't bother me a whole lot. But now it, it uh Well now you've got I don't know, directly to compare it to. Yeah, I mean I think that might be one of the reasons why um I think last episode I, I said Discovery kinda looks old. Yes. Now. I think that's why. Yeah. I remember, okay, so when I redid a quick rewatch of this before, you know, sitting down to kind of go through memory alpha and my notes and kind of match things up, I was thinking last night, and it was after I had just seen the new Picard trailer, but I was thinking about how you said it looked old, and then I was sitting there thinking, yeah, you know, because, like, <sighs> Strange New Worlds has this bright, colorful style to it, and then I'm thinking, I miss Strange New Worlds. So that's that's where it kind yeah. of brought me to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I even saw like an episode of uh, TOS last night. They come on MeTV, and I watched one last night, and I was looking at all the bright colors of the tunics and the uniforms. I was like, I sure like Star Trek when it has bright colors. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was kind of what was going through my head as I was watching last night. 
Yeah, again, man, again, not to always bring up Battlestar, but Discovery, the way it's, the way the lighting is reminds me a whole lot of Battlestar. Oh, sure. Where it's just like uh, dark and kind of gritty. Now, granted, Discovery doesn't do that um, film grainy effect that uh, Battlestar had in it, but it's lit similarly. Oh, absolutely. And I think that was the feel they were going for. They were going for like darker adults and uh, more cinematic. (laughs) But yeah, I'm with you. I uh, after watching a whole season of Strange New Worlds, I'm I kind of miss the bright colors and actual lighting on the ship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like you know, I was sitting there watching that. I was like, hey, I wonder what uh, you know Pike and Ortegas are up to right now. What are they doing? You know, that's kind of what I was doing. Saru has attempted to launch a probe into the anomaly to determine its origin. But the tachyon levels are disrupting the scanner, so Pike orders Detmer to move in closer also ordering Arium to aid Saru with the analysis. Tyler asks where Burnham is, to which Pike replies uh, she's on personal leave. Bryce reports cons are offline, and Reese adds likewise for tactical. Okay, so I thought I we're going to have to do a breakdown of what character's what on the bridge of this <laughs> ship. <laughs> I can't keep track of it. Um, I, thought, I thought Bryce and Reese were the same person, but apparently not. Yeah, you know, last week I was I was thinking the same thing, and I'm I I think our conversation kind of uh, put that in the in the air. Yeah, so I think that maybe, both of them were the same person. Maybe we're gonna have to do a little breakdown of who's who <laughs> on, the, on the discovery. I just have trouble keeping them apart, apparently. <laughs> All right, so Tyler's really getting under Pike's skin this week too. Pike is being very short with him, very snarky, and refers to him as a bad penny. <laughs> Uh, they head down to the turbo lift together. Tyler tells Pike that he can keep him in the dark about Burnham, but not about the signals of the Red Angel. As the official liaison to Section 31, Pike has to deal with him. Pike asks about the Klingon inside him, to which Tyler mirrors the question Pike asked him about knowing the war was over. Okay, that was a little reference that I didn't need to bring back up, but these two just kind of go at each other. And... Pike is on him about having a Vulcan inside of him. And then Tyler's like, well, I can't get rid of him. So, you know, we're going to have to just deal with them. And then Pike's like, yeah, I, I know how that feels. So, yeah, that it's, it's still super weird to me how much, um, Tyler still lives while he's on the discovery. Yeah. <laughs> you would think like some, uh, some crew crewmen would just, uh, you know, do the thing. Yeah. Somebody should. well i I get at the time they were planning on a section 31 tv show and they were trying to build something up but you know what nobody wants to see it (laughs) and nobody cares about this guy (laughs) i mean his his character is uh kind of interesting so i I won't say nobody wants to see it i i would i would watch it especially if giorgio was in it too well that would be the only thing that would get me to watch it would be her her. but given given events i don't know that i don't think that's possible anymore Unless they set it, I don't know, like uh, concurrently with um, Discovery. Uh, oh, no, because like they, they, they sent Giorgio back to the past. Yeah. Yeah. And back to her mirror universe, I think, didn't oh, they? Oh, I thought they sent her. I thought, oh, okay. I thought they sent her to the regular universe. Uh, No, because she, I feel like uh, there was some kind of sickness type thing she was having and this is just off the top of my head i don't even know if i'm right but it felt like there was some kind of sickness she had uh and that was being not being in the right universe that was doing it to her so they sent her back to the mirror universe 
like uh, pretty much around the same time she disappeared from the mirror universe. I don't know. Okay, see the way the way it was set up in my head was that part of the problem was the universes were moving further away from each other over time, you know, because the expansion of the universe. Mm, that could be true too. And they were sending, and Carl was going to send her back in time, but not back to her own universe. Oh, okay. I mean, I I may be missing something on that. It's been a while. So, I feel so, like it's been a while since I watched yeah. that one. Yeah, I might be misremembering, but that's what I—that's what stood out in my head, anyways. Yeah, between the two of us, we probably got it right somewhere. Somewhere, somewhere in the middle of that. <laughs> okay, so anyhow, they're not getting along real well. <laughs> Arriving on Vulcan during one of its rare periods of rain, Burnham lands her shuttle at Sarek's residence. She has a flashback of playing three-dimensional chess with Spock when they were children and laughing at her inability to form her fingers into the proper Vulcan salute. <laughs> I heard McCoy always had trouble with that, too. Yeah, flashback to the present. Amanda greets Burnham, who tells her that Spock is still missing. Ever since word came that Spock had disappeared, Sarek had been practicing Takmar, which is the ancient Vulcan, which the ancient Vulcans believed could bring lost souls back home, but it's not working. Well, not yet. Sort of does. Yeah, it's got to give it time to work, man. Except he doesn't know that it worked. Yeah, it's... um. What what is that thing? Uh, talk more works in mysterious ways. Hey, that could be a t-shirt. <laughs> Amanda replies that she has not spoken to him, but Burnham persists, reminding her that the longer Spock is on the run, see, there you go. Longer Spock is on the lamb, the harder it'll be for him to come in. And this is something that Amanda cannot argue with. Oh, and now we cut back to Kaminar. <sighs> Chris, this episode is just dragging me down, man. Yeah, yeah, it's uh like I said, man, it it felt like um I had about 10 minutes where the relevant things and they just stretched it out into an entire episode. Yeah. Um I mean cuz like uh, a bunch of this stuff just seems to be like uh just wholly not necessary. Yeah. I mean, I guess we could kind of speed up a little bit to um <laughs> probably here. Uh let's see. Okay. So Pike and Tyler jump in a shuttle. Here we go. They're in a shuttle. And it has been five minutes, and they head out, and there's some, like, rift, and it's got, like, temporal effects. And uh, they keep trying to move closer to acclimate as they go. Surya advises them not to go anymore, because I thought he wasn't supposed to be a coward, but he apparently still is. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I had forgotten, too, that, like, uh, this basically takes place, like, right after the last episode. mm Mm-hmm. Because they're still yeah, near around Kaminar, which I'd forgotten yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I thought that was interesting when I when I rewatched this uh, today. Yeah. So Pike, I guess, he insists on steering, and that makes Tyler upset. And these two might as well just whip him out and measure him. I think. <laughs> well, it's it says he uh, Pike says that he used to be a test pilot, but I think I'm pretty sure this is like the only place we ever hear that. Uh, no, he brings it up in um, an episode of Strange New Worlds. I think he brings it up. Does he? I think so. Yeah, there's there's one other place he brings it up, because I remember hearing it, because every time I hear the words uh, test pilot, I think of the Bionic Man. Oh, well, yeah. every time I hear test pilot, I'm just thinking about really fast airplanes. Really fast airplanes. Man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then there's like a sudden like flash forward uh, through the temporal echoes where uh, Pike shoots Tyler with a phaser, and he probably feels pretty good about it. 
Well, you know, he, he kind of gets that look on his face when he looks over at the, the real Tyler and it's like, hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know about this guy. Obviously, I'm about to shoot him. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yep. He's like, well, I, I know I live, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as far as I'm concerned, I can't die yet. Oh, oh he doesn't wait, know he that. Doesn't he doesn't know that yet. He's, he doesn't know that yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're flashing forward in time now. <laughs> See, Saru informs the crew of their mission that their mission has changed to one from research to one of rescue because obviously, you know, now Pike and Tyler are stuck. Yeah. Tilly warns that radiation is going to be lethal in five hours. They're trying to figure out a way to handle this. And then Saru remembers the incident with Harry Mudd, which was actually a really cool episode from season one. Yeah. But they discovered that Stamets has a unique relationship with time due to his little uh, tardigrade DNA injection. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh Discovery's portrayal of Harry Mudd is uh that's probably one of my favorite episodes of um any of the new Star Trek stuff. It was definitely definitely really good because the casting was pretty excellent and his, oh, yeah, his Dwight, portrayal man. was really good, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Dwight as uh Harry Mudd was just too perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, back on Vulcan, Amanda brings Burnham to a nearby crypt. Inside, Burnham is horrified to find Spock, bearded and disheveled, and muttering to himself. Michael approaches him, trying to tell him that she was there, but he shows no sign of acknowledgement. Yeah, I, I super feel like they should have uh, left uh, Spock in his beard, at least the first season of uh, Strange New Worlds. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I, I like Spock Jesus, man. <laughs> Spock Messiah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, was, it was an all right look, I guess, but you know, I, I understand why they cleaned him up because they kind of had to make him look like he did on the Enterprise, I guess. But Well, we've never seen him on, uh, well, except for um, the Menagerie. Uh, yeah. We've never seen him on the Enterprise prior you know, to Kirk. You know, I think they should do an episode of Strange New Worlds where everybody grows a mustache, trying to be like Sam Kirk, you know? <laughs> Everybody's like, hey, Sam, that's a good look. I think we're going to try it, too. <laughs> that's uh, That style's coming back in the, in the fashion, yeah. in the real world. Yeah, I know. A bunch of hipsters have been working on it for like 10 years now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a beard, and I keep I keep uh, joking that I'm going to shave off everything with the mustache, but I do not look good without a beard. <laughs> I, I did it a while ago, and I just kept the soul patch and the mustache, and I, I looked so much like my dad that I could make it about two days, and then I had to shave it off. I was like, ah, <laughs> this has got to go, man. So Amanda tells Burnham that Spock has been like this for at least two days. He's mumbling a bunch of numbers to himself that uh, Burnham recognizes the first doctrines of logic, and apparently there's been another set of numbers that Amanda doesn't quite understand. Burnham uh, insists that he needs to be taken to a hospital. If he was fully Vulcan, he would have already been completely mad from the uh, insanity going on in his head. That and, seems like a weird line, though, because yeah. it seems like it would be the other way. Like, if he was fully human, he'd have been <laughs> gone crazy now. Yeah, like all the way. The, the Vulcans have the uh, the discipline in place to fight it off you know yeah that's that's why i thought that was so weird that she would say that the racial things they do in star trek drive me a little crazy the ability to breed with other species makes me batty um 
the things they term in certain ways where, oh, this, this species has a power or what it just, it always makes me a little on edge, you know, just like, I don't think you guys ran any biology before you got started. Well, Hey man, if we were all, uh, we were obviously all seated from, uh, the same, the same thing back in the day. Why else would they look superhuman except with elf ears? Yeah. Yeah. Cause so maybe that's why it could be. Well, it was that episode of next gen. So I just, I just never cared for that episode very much. Um, cause you know, we're, we, we share like 99% of our DNA with a banana. And so how is there room for a Vulcan to have been sprinkled in there? You know, but, but I digress, <laughs> but I, unless Vulcan has bananas too. Maybe um, they do. Yeah. And the, the, you've all heard of the old Vulcan banana, haven't you? <laughs> oh God. All right. So unless the ambassador objects, Sark replies from behind them, and they both kind of give like an oh no face. We cut back to the temporal rift. Pike tells Tyler he's wasting his time trying to use sensors. Tyler insists that they need a fixed point for navigating. And then Pike is like, hey, you telling me how to fly? (laughs) Which (laughs) everybody loves that when you're driving and somebody's like, hey, hey, you're going too fast. Oh, you telling me how to drive? Yep, my wife likes to do that to me all the time. Oh, that drives me batty. She is a passenger driver. Oh, yeah. She, she, <laughs> yeah. She'd be driving in her own car if she was married to me. I can tell you that. <laughs> Assuming that the discovery was coming after them, Pike instructs Tyler to release plasma from the nacelles to let them follow a trail. Tyler objects as they need the fuel. These two, I swear. Back on board the Discovery, <laughs> Tilly updates Stamets on the situation that the radiation levels will become lethal in four hours, so we've lost an hour to save them here, people. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so we now we go back to the tardigrade DNA that Stamets has, so he's kind of like Captain Tardigrade here. Since he has the uh, tardigrade DNA, Stamets could use the mycelial network as a constant to pilot the shuttle's trajectory, but Stamets warns that beyond the Rift's event horizon, time would exist all at once making finding them like catching a grain of sand in a hurricane using tweezers or a piece of rice with a pair of chopsticks like they used to do on Kung Fu. (laughs) That sounds like something Jet Reno would say rather than Stamets, though. Yeah, well, she wasn't there this week, so they had to give that line to somebody else, you know. (laughs) Back on Vulcan. There's got to be a better way to phrase that, too. I'm going to say it 900 times. Back on Vulcan, Sarah confronts Amanda without uh, about lying to him, assuming she was hiding him in the crypt because it contained the Katra stones, which could block any efforts to find him by telepathy. Amanda confirms this, a decision that Sarah condemns as short-sighted and impulsive. Sarah concedes that Amanda is right, though, and Spock does need help, which is why Burnham must deliver him to Captain Leland, who is the head of Section 31, or not the head of Section 31, but one of the top dudes there. Both Burnham and Amanda objected delivering him to those who seek to punish him for murder, but Sarek is convinced that the Federation desperately needs uh, the knowledge that Spock has, and that outside of the three of them, no one wants to see Spock uh, healed more than Section 31. That's a big leap of faith there, Sarek. <laughs> he should know better. I, I would think so, because he always comes across more cynical than that, you know? Yep. There's a logical reason for Burnham to be the one who takes Spock to Leland, the risk of once again jeopardizing her Starfleet career for failing to do her duty. Sarek gives a little quiver when he admits that he is not willing to lose both of his children on the same day. (laughs) 
Back in the rift as the shuttle circles closer to the aperture, Tyler reports the plasma levels are down to 30% and the shields are down to 23%. He sarcastically remarks that Pike got what he came for, a dangerous mission with high stakes and the added bonus of taking Tyler down with him. (laughs) Yeah, there's still the phaser, buddy. (laughs) Pike heatedly replies that he's trying to get them out of there and that arguing with each other was just not helping. And that's right when something collides with the shuttle. Pike Pike Uh, recognizes it as the probe they launched earlier, which has received a quote-unquote upgrade in the form of a squid-like metal tentacles which latch onto the shuttle. We, of course, recognize it as one of the bad guys from the Matrix. (laughs) I am uh, embarrassed to say I have never seen any of those movies. You know what? One of them was good and three of them weren't. (laughs) You know, it's it's, it's okay, I think. (laughs) Uh, Burnham Shuttle makes a rendezvous with Leland's ship, the NCIA-93. <laughs> NCIA. <laughs> Subtle, guys. And brings <laughs> Spock aboard. Inside the ship's sick bay, Leland assures Burnham that Spock has received a sedative for the procedure he's about to undergo uh, to re- attempt to repair Spock's neural impulses and that control would not proceed if there would be any risk. Now, control, of course, is their, <laughs> their AI that uh, is in charge of Section 31. Does all of its predictive texting, I guess. <laughs> and for a supposedly covert group, they are not very subtle about it. No, that, that, their ship should look like a white van with like a cable sticker on the side or something, <laughs> you know? Right, even even uh even back in the day when the CIA was doing like uh you know flying U twos and SR seventy ones before it got delivered to the Air Force, they didn't have a whole lot of markings on there. No, they really none didn't. that would have pointed towards the CIA certainly. Yeah, and when people saw them and thought they saw a UFO, they were just kind of went like, "Yep, yep, he sure that's, did." That's, that's what you saw. <laughs> oh, he asked uh, that the room be cleared and says the best thing she can do for Spock is to take care of herself. She's alone with Spock. Burnham thinks on how lonely he must have been uh, in this condition, but that knowing him as she did, he made something beautiful with the mirrored images. What were the mirrored images? Why did I write that down? Probably doesn't matter. Oh, he's got his books where he was writing his mad drivel and drawings uh, in the floors. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. When they are down in the crypt. Yeah. Onboard Discovery, Reese detects the... Deuterium burst from Pike's shuttle, recognizing it as a trick taught in flight school to alert search parties, something a former test pilot would do. Saru orders him to send uh, the positions to Stamets in engineering. He uses them to calculate the shuttle's trajectory, not within three-dimensional space, but in the mycelial network. Tilly wonders if her fourth-dimensional math is wrong. Is fourth-dimensional math different than ours? Probably. Okay. As the burn seemed to have taken place at different points in time, uh, one week earlier, one the day previous, one eight minutes into the future, Stamets assures her it's correct as nonlinear temporal progression is a mind bender, but also sees that the shuttle is drifting into the aperture. Stamets rushes out of the room, telling Tilly to follow him. Meanwhile, on Pike's shuttle, <laughs> Tyler's scanner showed that some of the metals of the modified probe don't show on any periodic table. And that atomic decay indicates the probe's core has aged 500 years, which means something five centuries in the future found the probe, modified it, and sent it back. Mm. Just then, the tentacles breach the shuttle's hull, 
one of which wraps around Tyler. Recognizing it as the echo he saw earlier, Pike tells Tyler to hold still as he blasts off the end of the tentacle, and then it rushes forward and impales itself into the controls, accessing its computer. Well, I guess he wasn't going to shoot Tyler after all. Before either Pike or Tyler can reach the probe, it releases an energy pulse that knocks them off their feet. Stamets and Tilly rush through the corridors to the transporter room, where Stamets intends to use the coordinates to beam onto Pike's shuttle and fly it out. Tilly's aghast, warning him about the what would happen if his calculations were even slightly off. Stamets agrees that it would mean that they would be very dead, which is why he's asking <laughs> Tilly to handle the transporter. You know, as hard a time as I was given this over some of the uh, the dialogue, honestly, Stamets and Tilly are, are usually quite delightful when they're t- speaking to each other. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. I uh, again, I always, it's always uh, nice to come back to this crew, even if I don't like some of the writing around yeah. their episodes. The characterizations of the characters they actually take the time to introduce you to are are pretty good usually. Yeah. Yeah. She tries to talk him out of it. Stamets finally quiets her by telling her to trust the math and more importantly, to trust herself. All right. So Stamets shows up on the uh, shuttle craft and Pike's all like confused. (laughs) Stamets reassures Pike that he's from about 10 minutes in the future and would fly them out using a mycelial network. He also notices the tentacles embedded in the control console. Back on discovery, Tilly nervously asks if Stamets made it over. Uh, Oseken detects the shuttle exiting the anomaly, and Saru orders it to be put on the screen, seeing the shuttle with the attached probe. Stamets hails them, telling them that it was their own probe with a few modifications, and that in addition to trying to kill them, it was accessing the ship's computer core. (laughs) Back on the NCIA-93, Giorgio stops Burnham in the corridor, telling her she has disabled the cameras for 60 seconds. Giorgio dismisses Leland as a puppet following orders and figured that Burnham would not want Spock's blood on her hands. Burnham sarcastically asks the former emperor if she was doing this out of the goodness of her heart. And she says, no, the goodness of your heart. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even sure what that means. Yeah, me either. (laughs) I'm trying to save your soul. That would be one answer, but yeah. Saying she knows more about Burnham than she could imagine. Uh, For now, however, Burnham should attack Giorgio and rescue Spock, which would be good for Burnham and would make Leland look bad, which would be good for Giorgio. I do like how how sneaky and kind of villainous they keep her throughout this whole thing. Yep, yep. Yeah, she's, it's always fun. Yeah. I mean, they, you get these glimpses of her where you think she's like acting normal and you find that there's some like some, <laughs> some reason she's not letting you in on, you know? On the shuttle, Saru reports that they are unable to lock on with the transporters and will lose them in the rift in 34 seconds. Pike asks Stamets if he can calculate transporter coordinates remotely, to which Stamets replies with a slightly confused probably. <laughs> He does have a Montgomery Scott air to him sometimes. Yeah, I could see. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a little less confident than Scotty, I think. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> Scotty be like, oh, it'd be like you know, it's gonna be like riding a horse through a hurricane. But yeah, give me three hours, I can do it. Well, yeah, then Kirk's like, no, you have thirty seconds. Yeah. Was, oh, okay. all right, <laughs> got it. <laughs> Fifteen to spare. <laughs> Tyler continues to bash at the tentacle in an attempt to disable it. Pike then initiates the shuttle self-destruct while Stamets sends the coordinates to Owo. The three of them beam away just as the shuttle explodes, taking the probe with it. 
Saru asks if Pike, Tyler, and Stamets are aboard after a moment. He's told that they are. <laughs> Burnham storms into the NCEIA 93 sick bay and stuns the doctors with her phaser, returns Spock to consciousness, and escorts him to the shuttle bay. Giorgio fires <laughs> haphazardly, or I don't know, haphazardly is not right. Giorgio fires her phaser with her eyes shut, basically. Kind of grazes <laughs> her, grazes Burnham in the shoulder. Um, just to make it look good. Yeah, I like and I like that that uh that real quick pause they both do like hey <laughs> and then Burnham keeps going. Yeah. It's like, hey man, you just just hit me. This is my good jacket. Returning to Discovery's Bridge, Pike expresses gratitude for the rescue, to which Tilly warns perhaps he shouldn't thank them just yet. The shuttle explosion has released a time tsunami. <laughs> That'd be a good punk band name. <laughs> Pike orders maximum warp to get clear of the shockwave. At the same time, Tyler concedes that Pike was the most qualified pilot on duty. <laughs> Pike then asks Saru about the analysis of what the probe was looking for, to which Saru replied they were still trying to discern that. The modified probe was from the future, Pike reasons, and so was the Red Angel. And that's when Saru asks if he believes the Red Angel shared the probe's hostility. And uh, Pike brings up that Tyler kind of broached that same subject. Whether it was trying to start something or end something, Tyler adds, one thing is certain, they're in a fight for the future. Back on the uh, NCIA 93's bridge, Leland confronts Georgia about letting Barnum escape and asks to know where she is taking Spock. But she gives a nonchalant, sarcastic answer. Leland warns her not to overestimate her value. Burnham has landed the shuttle on an asteroid, waiting until the ships are outside of sensor range. As the computer works, Burnham kneels next to Spock, quoting from Alice in Wonderland, either the well was very deep or she fell very slowly. <laughs> For she had plenty of time as she went down to wonder what was going to happen next. Um, either my notes cut off or that was the end of the episode. Uh, yeah, but um, so the numbers that he was speaking earlier, she realizes he was saying them backwards and put the right way, 749, Mark 148, uh, is the coordinates to the planet Talos 4. Oh, I was <laughs> super shocked <laughs> when all this came out, you know, that they... I didn't figure Spock would ever be in the show when Spock was in the show. I didn't figure they'd go to Talos 4. Well, that same episode, they announced that they're going to Talos 4. So yep. when I originally saw this, I was just like, no way. And yeah, way. It totally happened. Yeah, I'm actually pretty stoked for the next episode because yeah. um, w the first time I watched it, I had not watched um, the Menagerie and stuff for a while. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, because I I started I I started watching it before we even uh, started this, and uh, I think I was already done with all the discovery up to that point by the time we started. So yeah, it's gonna be interesting to go back and watch this next episode with the menagerie in mind, and then uh, pretty much all of Strange New World so far to see. Uh, to see you know how the episode fits in with all that stuff so yeah, how it all plays out uh, that's the only real big positive thing i can say about this episode is it sets us up for that but again i feel like all the imp really important story elements in this episode could have been 
like 10 minutes. Well, yeah, because I mean, so much <laughs> this episode was just going back and forth, just jumping between locations, you know? Yeah, Discovery, Discovery, um, especially as we move on uh, further down the episode list, seems to do that uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Not that Strange New Worlds doesn't do it, but I don't know. I feel like Discovery, especially this season, does it a whole lot. Yeah. Well, and, you know, again, I think that's just part of what Discovery was trying to be was this big, epic, uh, galactic scale, you know, like millions, not millions, but dozens of characters doing things all simultaneously. Yeah. You know, I think that was just the the conceit of the show, really. Yeah, I mean, my thing about Discovery is, like, uh, you can't keep that, you can't sustain that um, way of doing the show. You yeah. have to scale back eventually. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to you gotta take a breath, you know. You got to give people time to breathe sometimes. And Except so far, they haven't. <laughs> no, they really haven't. I mean, they just kind of keep pressing on, which is kind <laughs> of exciting, but multiple seasons of it is, is tiring, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's why that's why Strange New Worlds is such like a nice little hey, look, they've all lost their memories and think they're <laughs> think they're in a fantasy play now. <laughs> you know. Well that was that season's down episode. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Chris, I guess we know where we're headed next week, huh? Yeah, man. So next week's episode begins in an enormous warehouse. A cultured billionaire and Michael are working together, but their plans are at war. And eventually, you know what? They get married. So really? It's going to be crazy next week. Sounds like it. <laughs> I didn't even know Talos Four still had warehouses. Yeah, or, man. Or billionaires. Well, this is going to be where they cut back off oh, of Talos Four. Oh, you know? Okay, I got you. I got you. Okay. <laughs> that makes that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Well, everybody, if you have a question, comment, or theory you want to run by us, hit up our website at strangenewtrekshow.com or follow the links in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app of choice. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to us. It's one small step for you, but a giant leap for this show. A special thanks to Miguel Esparza for the Strange New Trek theme and to Will Harding for all of his hard work over in the YouTube department. And thank you for listening, and don't forget to set your phasers to stun. And join us next time when we're on to the next planet of the week. Mm -hmm.